Leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Welcome to Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath, where experienced leaders share their own brand of leadership to help you develop and improve your own leadership capabilities. And now, here's your host, Dr. Gary. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Welcome again to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Today's guest is the CEO of KU Real Estate Group and operating principal for Keller Williams Premier. She and her husband, Marcus, have built a multi-million dollar real estate investment company. She's dedicated to using her companies as a catalyst to help shape the real estate community by continuing to inspire and empower individuals and local businesses. She's a proud graduate of Virginia State University, where she got a degree in economics and finance. She's very active in her community through ministry, community service, and engagement. And in 2015, she started her own nonprofit, Christ Saves Hearts Foundation, Inc. This organization serves its purpose to create advocacy, for heart health, provides scholarships to minority high school and college students, and has been the creator and push for the North Carolina Sudden Cardiac Arrest Prevention Act for student athletes. She is a change agent in the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts in the real estate industry. She currently serves as Keller Williams National and Regional Social Equity Leader and Ambassador. She served in the 2021 Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Committee Chair of the Raleigh Regional Association of Realtors, where she was able to break through many barriers. She continues to use her platform to create a more inclusive real estate industry by collaborating with others to continue to break down barriers and be part of a revolutionary growth model that will forever change the industry and the communities in which we live and serve. That is a lot to listen to, but I hope that you're ready to welcome Corinne Bowman. How are you doing? I'm doing amazing. How are you? I'm fantastic. I I stumble over your name because, uh, so I, I have to tell you, as we all have these challenges in life, I am both audio dyslexic, and I think we talked a little bit about this, but I'm audio dyslexic. And when I was taking language in school, my French teacher called me a linguistic cripple. So I apologize if I mispronounce things, but uh, you know, it's just who I am. So are you ready to talk to the audience about your great things that you're working on? I am ready. So first of all, let's go back. Let's go back to some of the beginnings of this. You and your husband have built a real estate empire here in North Carolina. I'm going to say you've got offices in, in the Triangle. For those people that don't know what the Triangle, that's Raleigh, Durham, Chapel Hill, and the largest metropolitan area in North Carolina, which is Charlotte. You've got offices in both areas. How did you get into real estate? Oh, man, that's a great question. Um, it was actually a vision, man. It was a vision. And oh. so from a little girl, I remember growing up, in North Jersey, right across Manhattan and going over the bridge and just seeing that beautiful architect. Right. And yeah. I was like, man, you know, I, I just wanted to know more. And, you know, I remember when I was in my young 20s, I would visit 
you know, the parade of homes to see beautiful luxury houses and said, man, I wish I could be able to not only have a luxury house one day, but be able to be on this side and, and to sell and realize that real estate is truly a catalyst of building wealth. Mm-hmm. And I picked up on that very early on and I wanted to learn how to invest in real estate. And from there, it was history. I became a realtor in 2011. And so it's the best thing ever. And as an agent starting from day one, trying to figure out what this is going to look like, how are we going to maneuver um, in this competitive industry um, for somebody that wasn't even from the area? Mm-hmm. It has been amazing to see the opportunity. I always said the day that I walked into the doors of Keller Williams was the day that I walked into the land of opportunity. Well, so it's, but it started with this vision and this, this comparison or, or the real juxtaposition of New Jersey and New York City. Mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about that, and I, I, I'm used to live outside of Philadelphia and I've been to New Jersey, I've been to Newark, you know, Northern New Jersey. And if you haven't been there for people that don't know the difference between Newark and New York, <laughs> it's a completely different world, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, so that that kind of vision opened up your mind to start wondering what else is out there. Right. And and I think that like you said, you see these beautiful homes, it's kind of cool to have the opportunity to get to see all of these homes and now as you've been in this about 11 years is building wealth around that. Amen. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so so you you walked in the door, you got started, right? Mm-hmm. How did how did that feel that first day? You know, you, you were excited, but then what were the challenges that started to really hit you in that, you know, those early years? Great question. Um, I, I, I think that we all experience some type of anxiety anytime that we do something new. We're in an unfamiliar environment. I'm not sure about the next. And so it's just a, like an entrepreneur. You're starting a whole new business all over, Right. It's a new career, new business, and you don't have any clients, right? From day one, you start at zero. So everybody starts the same at zero and you have to actually build it. And for me, that first initial impression was, okay, yes, I may have anxiety. Yes, I may be a little bit nervous, but there's a reason I'm supposed to be here. Mm. And I realized that there's something called confidence that we are all seated with. It's a gift that's given, but sometimes get lost. Hmm. And, and that confidence is knowing that anytime that you step into a room, anytime that you step into an opportunity, this is an opportunity, this is a space that you were supposed to be in. It was already designed for you. And so when we understand that, it allows us to propel at a very different level. Hmm. So it's that belief that that belief that you're there for a reason. It's not just you know, it, it goes really beyond confidence, but the belief is what creates the confidence, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you always feel that way? No, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, right? I, you know, sometimes we have to learn the hard way, mm. right? Through life journeys. And, you know, I always go back. I had an opportunity where I can write a letter to the little girl in me, right? That six year old in me. And to tell her that you can be all things. 
that you belong, that you are worthy of. And even in adversity, there's always a bigger lesson that is gifted. And so, no, I did not always have that. Yeah. Again, but I had life lessons. In the life lessons were the things that showed me that I got this. Right. I'm still standing. Right. And I realized that failure is part of the process. A lot of times we fear the process of failing. We are afraid to fail. Well, isn't, isn't it really the, uh, the process of the unknown? Mm, yeah. You don't know whether you're going to fail or succeed. You might be either confident or starry eyed, if you will, right? Thinking that, you know, I'm going to be okay. And then things don't go so well, right? right. Yeah. But In fact, I want to, I want to tell you psychologically, anybody starting a new job, almost always, whether they start with lower, high anxiety, there's almost also a level of excitement. You know, people are really excited about it. And then there's an emotional drop off. Mm. And that emotional drop off might happen in the first week. It might happen in the first couple of months, but it happens. And when you drop off, that's when you find out if you have the resilience to move forward or not. And it, it, here's the thing that people don't understand. Like 99 times out of 100, any new job, any new position you're going to have that emotional downtime when you come to the point where you realize it's not as easy and I'm not as smart and I'm not as good as I thought I was. I've got to work hard to do what I need to do. And that's the turning point. Don't you think? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So in that early, in those early days, by the way, you stole something from me at the end of my podcast. I always ask people, if you wrote a letter back to yourself, what would it say? <laughs> You've already done that. So we've written the letter to the six-year-old um, and, and, you know, we're jumping ahead, but that's okay. I like it because what look, moving forward, moving forward now we, you've got this vision of yourself and you, you started this new position 11, 12 years ago in real estate when you hit that resistance, when you hit that downward turn, how did you turn it around? How did I turn it around? Yeah, because you can have all the confidence in the world, but you still have to execute. And there's, there, like you said, there's mistakes and there's failures. You didn't yeah. know how to do this job. You know, let's let's talk about the first house you sold and the first house you thought you sold, but you ended up finding out you didn't. <laughs> All right. Well, it goes back again to the failures part, right? The failing yeah. part. It's accepting failures, not being afraid to fail and understand that's part of the process. Mm. Success is nothing short of failures. And so when we understand that, it's all right, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to give it my best try. And if I don't get it right, okay, let me learn from this experience. And then what I learned from it, how do I apply it to the next? And it becomes a growing attitude that allows us to pillar and grow. Um, the very first transaction that I had in real estate, it was funny. It was actually the, the agent on the other side apparently was also my post licensing instructor. And we're in class. He said, wait a minute, you're a brand new agent. I said, yeah, that was my first transaction. He said, I would have never knew. And a lot of times we get caught up in our shortcomings mm. versus focusing on the things that we've come to do. And I've learned this actually um, 
from a wise guy, I can't remember, but it's an acronym called FEED. And it's understanding when you enter that space, when you own that space, it's time to land your feet. And when you land your feet, it's breaking down into four things. The F means freedom to innovate. The freedom to be creative, to do things in a way that's maybe never been done before. E is also understand that everything matters in the moment. Mm. Always give your best. Time is of essence. And that second E is the excellence, the excellence in delivery that we continue to work on to deliver. And it's okay if we don't always give it right. It's okay if we don't always get it right. But it's not okay when we don't give our best. Mm. Mm. And then T, it's timing. This is our time. This is our season. And we have to own that. Mm. That's so it's great. Time, time Freedom, everything matters in the moment, excellence and timing. So we can, because that's really a great way of facing any failure, isn't it? Yes. I, I have a failure or whatever it is. I have an opportunity to grow. I have the freedom to innovate, to create. What am I going to do about this? How can I learn from it and, and create and innovate? And there's uh, so many times we talk about uh, mattering in the moment, being in the moment, being mindful in the moment, not being, you know, as I, when I work with leaders all the time, I say, stop traveling, stop traveling somewhere else and be here right now and you'll be more effective. And doing your best every day, every, uh, you know, talking about excellence, uh, that's the only thing that we have control over, really, is just doing our best, right? Uh, timing is a tough one. Timing is, you know, you could fail not because you did something wrong, but just because it's not the right time, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, I, I can, you know, timing for real estate right now for you ought to be fantastic because of the way the Triangle and Charlotte are growing. But that also creates a tough, a lot of competition, doesn't it? It is. And, you know, it's actually very it's a very challenging market right yeah. now. You know, a lot of people see it as one way, but it, like you said, it can be twofold. Right. And in this market today, uh, it's taught me so much, um, not just even as a leader, but as a person that is my number one focus is to be able to give back to my community mm-hmm. and to help them. Caterpillar to a new level. And I use real estate as one of my catalysts to do that, to help meet their goals, right? To help them fulfill the American dream, to help with, you know, take them to the next level financially. And so they can build generational wealth. Mm -hmm. And at the same token, this current market has been so challenging where it's been lopsided where you have sellers that's been able to really pivot and further take their their investment to the next level and reinvest in other things. And then you have buyers that's just trying to figure out how can I get my fair share? How -hmm. can I even get into this market because it's so competitive? And so it allowed me to understand that even in my career, Um, It becomes a ministry that I also have to inspire and empower others, even in that space to say, I need you to keep at it. Don't give up. Mm. Yeah. So you talk about a ministry. I've been told that myself about what the work I do in leadership. You know, he says that I'm I'm professing, I'm I'm preaching sometimes. But what you said, I I don't want to lose this this point 
is the bigger why is building generational wealth. It's, it's really helping people in the long run to stop thinking about paycheck to paycheck. But how do we learn things and how do we build generational wealth? That's really your why, isn't it? Yes. Because uh, you could, I can imagine you could probably do this in technology. You could do it in software. You could do it in, in, you know, some other area of uh, investments with finance and economics with your degree, but you've decided to do it in real estate. It doesn't matter what it is. This is just your opportunity to help people understand how to build generational wealth. And you're doing it through real estate. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the real heart comes in. You know, when I talked to you about some things before, as you've learned to be a little bit more confident, a little less anxious, a little bit more, you know, uh, involved and engaged in what you do. We talked about being heard, mm. you know, finding your voice and, and letting people hear the, the real you. What's that path taken and how, how have you found your voice? Oh, oh, Dr. Gary. <laughs> One of the things that I think a lot of us struggle with is that we feel that we're not heard. Mm. Whether it's in a family, community, business. And so if that's the case, how can we be heard? Mm. How do you how do you create that space and you amplify your voice? And for me, I have to learn and self-teach myself to say. My voice is powerful. That's the most important tool that I have. And that's the one thing that no one can take from me. Mm. So when I own that, I can take dominion of it and then I can amplify my voice. Mm. But the real power is not just amplifying my voice. It's when you create a platform that you can help other voices be heard and amplified in a mighty, mighty way. So part of part of your your mission in life is is not to just to go through what you learned to create that platform to amplify your voice, but to help others do the same. How are you doing that? Well, various ways. Um, one through real estate, I have done a lot of work with diversity, equity, and inclusion. It was naturally embedded through me as a young girl. I was. I'm raised by my grandfather, um, who was very heavy in his civil rights. Um, he was a, you know, North City Councilman, president of the NAACP. So that's something he taught me early on. And so in that, I've been able to really take advantage of the space with diversity, equity, inclusion in real estate and find ways to break through barriers Mm. to talk about some changes, well-needed changes in our industry that we can help bridge the wealth gap. We can help bridge the home ownership gap. And it starts by conversation. And then not just even that, I just want to go back. So we can help bridge the wealth gap. We can help bridge the home ownership gap and also the leadership gap mm. that we currently face. And so in that this is an opportunity that I realized I was becoming an influencer in this space because I was using my voice. I was amplifying it, but I had to make sure I was being intentional at the same time and it was being used for the right purpose. And so I would begin to educate myself on the history of our industry. And then 
compare it to where we are today, break it down, and then focus on some solution-based ideas that can help move us forward and understand, though, too, I can't solve everything. However, I do know that it's a joint effort and it starts with one person, another person, and another, and it becomes a collective. Yeah, leadership is about engaging people one at a time. Our, our definition of leadership is the ability to build relationships so you can achieve your goals together with compassion and accountability. It starts with building relationships. And that, you know, that's your point. And I want to, I want to go back to the, cause there's a lot of conversation right now about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And one of the things I've come across recently by Brene Brown with her, her newest book that's out Atlas of the heart. She talks about adding to that and adding to it is diversity equity, inclusion, and belonging. And this idea of belonging, there's a lot of, a lot of going on when in the research right now through Harvard Business Review, and they're talking about psychological and emotional safety in an organization. And when you think about this, we have these, these things that are going on in our history when you go back and, and this is a, this is a new thing. You know, DEI is a new thing. It's not really new, but it's necessary because what it creates is an environment where we understand the broad understanding of, of equity, the broad understanding of inclusion and diversity, which creates an environment of belonging. And isn't that from a leadership standpoint, what we want is organizations that have that psychological and emotional safety. So people can not just feel that they're fitting in, that I have to change myself to fit in with your group, but to walk in the room and I'm, I, I'm accepted for who I am. That's belonging. Isn't that at the core of what we're talking about with DEI? Yes. Amen. It is. You know, you, you think about it, right? You say diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging. It's creating a space that when anybody and everybody can walk in and feel like they're part of something. Mm. And we don't realize how intimidating sometimes we can be. And from a organizational standpoint or leadership, we talk about defining culture. And it's it's really it's it is very interesting that many times an organization will define what culture means to them. Right. Mm. Mm. However, leaves out the perspective that's more diverse and what that looks like to someone else. Yeah. And so when we talk about diversity, equity, occlusion, um, belonging, it's not one sided. Right. It's not just race. It's not just sex or handicap status, religion. It's also diversity and perspective and ideas and thoughts and mindset. And in a creative environment, if we understand as business owners, as leaders, that when we create an environment that creates this type of melting pot of ideas and thoughts, how explosive we would be. Imagine how big an organization can be when we actually embrace that. So what do you think gets, what are the, some of the biggest things, and I'm going to answer my own question here in a minute, but I want to hear from you. What do you think are some of the biggest things that are getting in the way of creating those kinds of cultures, those kinds of environments for people today? Honestly, tradition. Ah, 
So like just old ways of doing things that oh, are yeah, outmoded, yeah. are out, outmoded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just, we've been doing this for so long. We don't need to do anything different. Why break it? Right. Mm-hmm. It's been working for so long. What are yeah. you talking about? This is, this is how we do it. And the reality is this is a new day. Yeah. This is a new day. It's a new day. It's a new attitude. And we have to come ready to embrace the future. For those of us that get stuck in tradition, we become stagnant in leadership, Mm. which means we're stagnant within the growth of our organization. It's called revolutionary growth. Yeah. Yeah, That that does not stay with tradition. There's nothing wrong with tradition. We embrace it. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because I I I get challenged quite often with uh, people talking about it's a new leadership style, a new way to lead organizations, and I'm like, no, actually, it's not. Compassionate accountability was always necessary. There's a balance of compassionate accountability in all things that we do. It's the leader determining what amount of compassion, what amount of accountability is needed in each situation, and the problem is is that the leadership style doesn't always fit the needs at the time. And I'm going to use one really quick example in this uh, as we talk about the pandemic and what's going on today, because it's counterintuitive to what we're supposed to be doing. That's not new leadership. It's a lack of awareness of how to really truly lead people. And what's happening in the pandemic, we're going to challenge people are really struggling. They're struggling emotionally. They're struggling with their jobs. They're working from home. All of these new things are happening. And what do companies often do? Well, we've got a lockdown on, on management. We've got to like really get accountable. We've got to hold people accountable to get the work done and do this, do this. And we always have to hold people accountable. That hasn't changed. But increasing the accountability when people are under stress, what people need is more compassion, not more accountability. It goes just the opposite. When things are going really, really well, what do we do? Everybody's happy. We're doing great. We're making money. This is fantastic. We get a little bit lazy. We don't always do the things that we're supposed to do, have the meetings, check the numbers and do the things. And what happens? Things go to hell because we haven't paid attention to it. When things are going really well, we need to crank up accountability. People don't need the compassion. They're already feeling great. It's counterintuitive. And I think that we're, we, we, don't need new leadership. We need effective leadership and have always needed that. We've always needed DEI. We've always needed belonging. We've always needed psychological safety. This has not changed. It's just that many of our leaders, they fall back, like you say, on the traditional, the old ways. Why? Because they don't know any other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. And I think that's you know, that's what you face in your business and what you're trying to create. You're trying, heck, you're, you're trying to change the industry. You're trying to revolutionize it. I love that and revolutionize it, not just to be able to create affordable housing for people and things that you're doing with the nonprofits, but you know, this idea of building generational wealth for most people that is out of their concept of living right now. And you're helping open up that vision. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That, that's that's great. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to ask the last question, whether you like it or not, because I do this at every one of my podcasts, because you wrote a letter to the six-year-old, mm-hmm. but I want you to write a letter to the 25-year-old. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're, you're out of college. You're in a job. You're working. You're thinking about things. You're trying to get your life together, trying to understand why, why am I here? What's my mm-hmm. purpose? What would you write that letter saying? Dear Corinne, what would you say? Wow. 
that that's <laughs> to know that everything that you go through is for a reason mm-hmm. and to trust God in the process, but also trust yourself. Mm-hmm. Know that you have the tools and the resources already embedded in you. You now just have to activate it. Yeah. And you'll be more than fine. Yeah. And I, I, I take it in, in your 20s, having that message to yourself that those are some of the challenges that you were having and in believing in yourself, just believe in yourself. Right. It's yes. I by the eight, the time that I was 32, I was a widow. Mm. And so in those years, you, you're. Ooh, it's in 25, you're realizing or defi- or defining who you are, mm. right? I was 25, newly married, ha- started a family. There are things that you're learning about yourself. And sometimes we lack confidence within because of the unknown. We were talking about that earlier, the fear of the unknown. But to know that ultimately any and everything that we encounter in life is part of the purpose. Hmm. Sometimes that's hard to swallow, isn't it? It is. It's it's a blessing or a lesson. Yeah. And it will also lead to a beautiful blessing. So who was it in your life that believed in you more than you believed in yourself that helped you really understand that you had something special to offer this world. Wow. I wanted to start with God. Mm. It was, I was in a space in my life um, when I thought I was all alone mm. and he had to talk to me and tell me that I wasn't, you were my That's child. Your faith, you your faith really got you through it. You were my seed. Um, And then I've been fortunate enough to have been married twice and both to two amazing guys in two different lifetimes um, or two different life cycles. Mm -hmm. And they have been my biggest cheerleaders. Um, And it's it's good when you have somebody in the flesh that truly supports you and say, hey, you got this. I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. But it and it has always started though with my Lord and Savior. Yeah. You know, it's it's amazing though. Know, we can sit here and talk about how uh I'm confident, I know what I'm doing, I'm a businessman, I, you're a businesswoman, we're you know, we're doing great things. I really know what I'm doing. But, you know, it's really nice once in a while from your spouse or a friend or a colleague or a client, they say, Corinne, you're doing a great job. Yeah. Thank you. It mm-hmm. just, we need that. We need yeah. that. So, yeah. well, Corinne Bowman, I thank you very much for spending the time today on my podcast. Uh, are there any final words that you would like to share with our listeners that words of wisdom, encouragement, anything? I will say this. If there's anything that you've ever wanted to do, I don't care if it was your wildest dreams. Do your research, do your due diligence, and take action. 
There is nothing that is too far reach and there's nothing that is impossible. My Nana always said growing up, if there is a will, there is a way. This is your season, push through and let success speak volumes out of your personal journey. Live out your best God-designed life you can ever live out. Well, I think that's a great time to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Karen Bowman. I really appreciate your time and your wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. It has been an honor and a pleasure. I'm Dr. Gary, making good bosses into great leaders with compassionate accountability. Thanks for listening to Leading from the Front, where leadership is a responsibility, not a position. Take care, be well, and be great. Thanks for being with us on Leading from the Front with Dr. Gary McGrath. Remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about the work Dr. Gary is doing, visit statarius.com. S-T-A-T-A-R-I-U-S dot com. Music for Leading from the Front is provided by Peter Katz. For more of his music, visit petercats.com. <laughs>